Glorifying God and enjoying Him forever is the only endeavor whenever, wherever, to whomever, never that clever. I heart PCA, die hard PCA, by far PCA is the best PCA in the A. Hey out there in podcast land, this is Doug Servan, one of the hosts of iHeartPCA, which is a podcast about the PCA, what's good and right and believable and beautiful and what we're thankful for and uh, what we want you to know about. It's sponsored by White Blackbird Books, so make sure to search that, get on their uh, website or Facebook page and follow them and uh, uh, know about the great books that are being published and are coming out all the time. Today, we're bringing to you a special episode this is something that we're trying to do to help others and, and help our listeners know about other great things. This is a podcast by Chris Cooper. Chris is a RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, college minister, ordained college pastor at North Carolina Central. And he uh, has put together a series about his journey into the PCA. A really great job, really thankful for him. And on uh, this is being put out there on Black History Month. And so we're so thankful for the, the black Presbyterian pastors that we have. And I'm also thankful for um, the Latino and Native American and Korean and, and all of them. Um, it's just that there are not a lot of those uh, pastors represented in our denomination. So this is Chris's, uh, how he got into it. Um, he tells it in uh, several parts, so you'll be able to follow along. He ends it with a song from one of his friends, so you won't hear uh, one of our songs at the end. Hope that this blesses you as it has us, and uh, get on and help Chris out. Give him some support through the podcast and for his ministry. All right, here you go. I can't believe we made it through. My mama say she ain't surprised, told me that she always knew. My day ones to the same ones, love to the crew. I told my lady I ain't never met nobody like you. I thank you. Listen. I know God did it, can't take the credit. Paid off all of my debts, but I still feel so indebted. Been all over the world with these songs I wrote. My life story ought to give y'all hope. Without a doubt, I've been doubted and counted out. I've been down for the count, about to quit. Mama told me keep going, because I was made for this. I either get a scholarship or I could get a hit. I still can't believe I made it I hit. can't believe we yeah. made it through. My mama say she ain't surprised, told me that she always know. My dad wants to the same ones, love to the crew. I told my lady I ain't never met nobody like you. I thank you. You shine a light on me. 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 What's up, TMG? It's your boy, Reverend Christopher Cooper, man, and I'm here 
with a special podcast episode. It'll be part of a series that I'm doing that is made to encourage you. Um, I come with a heavy heart, but one with hope also. Uh, One of the things that I talked to my mom about uh, before she passed away was the series I was thinking about doing. And in this particular series, it was going to go through the journey um, of me getting ordained and how, you know, my story began, you know, with where I came from and everything of that nature um, to to God's providence and how I got uh, to where I am now. So I'm going to go along with what my mom told me to do, man. She encouraged me that this particular series would bring hope, would help individuals who may be in the same boat as me, and also help individuals understand, man, how God can be at work uh, with different ethnicities, different cultures, um, and how he can utilize you and your gift in so many different places that you could have never imagined. So, I pray that this particular series, man, blesses you and kind of gives you a deep dive in to the person I am. But also the main goal of this series is to just bring encouragement and hope uh, to let you know that the gift God has given to you uh, will allow you, man, to go before individuals um, and be in places, man, just for his glory. So I want to begin by first saying uh, this particular series is not happening to down anybody. Uh, it's my point of view. It's my story. And what I'm telling, man, it is a testimony. Uh, so don't take it as uh, me actually trying to, uh, you know, dump on somebody or talk about how bad things are. If you know me, I am grateful for every place that I've been, where I, where I grew up, uh, the foundation that was set for me, and actually where I'm placed right now. And I believe that God utilizes all things uh, for his glory. And the main goal uh, is to also, you know, talk about some of the negatives and the positives of coming where I was from and also to where I'm at right now in the present. Believe me, it's an amazing thing. Uh, so I believe you're going to be blessed. So I hope you enjoy this series uh, on the journey to ordination. And this episode will be part one, which is called The Beginning. So in this particular uh, episode, uh, the beginning, I think we should start like where I grew up, you know, what conference I grew up in, kind of give you the contextual background of who I am, what kind of church environment I came from. Um, and then we'll end at the point where, um, things start to change and how, you know, I actually, you know, man, the process of actually going uh, to dorm from Delaware. So uh, let's get started. Number one, um, where did I grow up at, man? Uh, I grew up in what is called the UAME Conference, and that is United American Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, We uphold the great Bishop Peter Spencer, man, in Wilmington, where our headquarters is located. We have Peter Spencer Way. Um, you know, we celebrate it all the time. Peter Spencer was an amazing individual. Um, he was an evangelist. He actually started churches and, uh, with schools, man, across northeastern, eastern to the southeastern borders. Um, and the main goal was for individuals to grow in their spirituality in Jesus Christ, but also uh, to provide education uh, for African-Americans, because at this particular time, you know, we weren't getting the best education or we weren't allowed to read and everything. He just wanted to create a place uh, for individuals 
to be able to go into church, be treated fairly um, and not, you know, be enslaved like they were within the white church. Uh, not only do we uphold this man, Peter Spencer, but so does uh, AME, uh, which is African Methodist Episcopal. Uh, many of us claim him as the creator. Uh, and with this foundation, the, the belief that the Holy Spirit works in individuals um, to not only evangelize, but to fill the spirit, to grow educationally um, and to come together as a community in freedom and in truth uh, is the exact way I grew up uh, in the UAME. Uh, so within the UAME conference, just to make it plain to you, I grew up in a church called St. Paul UAME Church, Wilmington, Delaware, 3114 North Market Street. Yo, go there. Um, I loved it, man. Uh, the environment was um, amazing. Um, as I was growing up, man, I had so many people to look up to. Um, if I was to describe the church, uh, I would first, you know, start with the foundation that it was built on, which I believe was singing. Uh, you don't know, man, so many different choirs and groups have come from St. Paul. And that's what it's actually known for, from the Loper singers to the DJLs. Um, I can't think of other individuals right now. That's family. Um, but even into the conference choir, we're known, man, for for singing. My mom was the worship director for so long. Um, she just has an anointed voice and she brought God and she just knew what to sing and how to sing it. So uh, the first thing that I really grew up on was the choir, you know, since a young boy. Like I learned how to connect to Christ through singing songs and through listening to gospel music, through listening to you know, different artists from Kirk Franklin to Fred Hammond, man, um, little Martha Manizzi. Uh, my mom uh, loved Joe Pace, the Pace sisters, the Clark sisters. Man, I could run them down to you. Uh, I just had a uh, Richard Smallwood, just a whole plethora, whole variety of music while riding in cars, but also singing them on Sunday. And man, we used to rock out. So our youth choir was amazing. I mean, it was amazing voices. Um, we loved seeing each other on Tuesday nights. Uh, we loved laughing. We loved getting in trouble uh, by our advisor. Um, but, you know, Sunday, man, we also had times where uh, service and rehearsal would just go silent. People crying, people just really growing in Christ. Um, people making connections. We were all each other's friends, man, till this day. We laugh when we can still get together uh, and sing with each other like we never missed a beat. Uh, and it really taught us how to worship um, with all our hearts, with all our mind and with all our souls, right? Everything that had breath, praise the Lord. I mean, we had the hand claps, we had the movements. Um, so, you know, foundationally, music really set the bar for me. Uh, man, from from the time I was out the womb uh, until, man, I actually left St. Paul. So, you know, give you a background. We had the organ. We had the drums. Uh, and when the right song come on, man, and we hit that hook and it's just speaking to people's heart, you know, people getting up shouting hallelujah, uh, people shouting. Sometimes you didn't even have to preach, man. It it <laughs> It was amazing, man. Um, and we talk about how the book of Psalms like prayers, but also uh, songs to, to worship to Christ. Man, I felt like uh, it was a semblance of God's glory uh, through the way that we sang, the, the way that I saw singing express. 
to get closer to God. So that's very much a big part of me. St. Paul was also um, known as getting probably, you know, the most prepared and best pastors and preachers. I think ever since I've been there, people who have pastored St. Paul, except for one, has gone on to become the bishop of the conference. So, you know, we had good Bible teaching sermons um, and people who loved on us uh, and really taught us. Now, you know, being young, man, I, I can say that I didn't really understand the sermons. I don't think it was geared towards young minds. Um, there is definitely a traditional aspect to the sermons that we hear. Um, they're very gospel related, um, Holy Spirit filled. Um, sanctification is a big thing. You know, be holy as God is holy, man. You got to live right. You got to act right. Uh, but there's also... Uh, a big drive, man, an evangelistic drive in a sense, like altar calls and everything is, hey, give your life to Christ, give your heart to Christ. Uh, but many times when I didn't understand the sermons. Now, I also grew up in a very effective Sunday school. Um, but within Sunday school, man, I had the best teachers. And what I mean by that, they were caring. They were loving. Um, they really built community within the classroom. Uh, but I must be honest, I think within Sunday school, I didn't learn that much in a sense of like, we usually follow the book, uh, with the illustrations. And when you young man, you know, you see these illustrations, they're very vanilla and then they'll bring like a memor memorized verse. <laughs> and you know, you kind of memorize the verses to get out of class, but, uh, it wasn't like very effective to me. Now, this is to me. I'm not speaking for nobody else in actually growing spiritually, because when you got into school or, you know, or I was at football practice or anything like that, uh, I felt like that vanilla teaching didn't actually help me deal with the complexities of what was going on in the outside world. And I think in one sense, it's hard to find a balance where you're not trying to overwhelm um you know, Christian kids with too much that they're not ready for. Um, but also you also got to find the balance and saying, Hey man, I think they need to hear the realness of what's happening out there. Um, so, you know, I love my teachers. I love the people who spent time, but here's the thing. Um, we used to have things called like <clears throat> Sunday school, uh, it's like a Sunday school conference. I can't, or Sunday school day. And it was a part of conference and, I'm going to be honest with you, man. St. Paul used to always win the trivia. So I just want to say, like, I was getting taught something. We knew something uh, besides, you know, the my mom and dad, who was great parents bringing us up in the church, man. I was in church, uh, man, Monday for meetings if my mom had to go, Tuesday, Wednesday, Bible studies, um, then maybe a Friday for something, maybe working in the kitchen and things like that. And then Sunday could be all day. Um, what else can I tell you about the environment I grew up as far as the church is concerned? Bible teaching, uh, Sunday school. Oh, it was a church of service. And what I mean by service is like, I grew up with people who were in the kitchen committee. I grew up with individuals. A part of loving people was to serve them. So we used to have to serve plates. We used to have to put tables up, put them down, clean everything, wash dishes, help put the pots up, help take the food out of the oven. Um, that, that was fun to us, but we learned a lot, man. 
<laughs> it's crazy, man. Some church folk, man, they just talk too much. So they used to say slick comments. We used to hear them gossip, things of that nature. It was crazy, but it helped me grow. It helped me mature and actually see uh, love and faith in action through service um, and really uh, taught me how to wash people's feet. Um, without murmuring, complaining, or having a hesitation, but that's what you were supposed to do if you were a Christian was to do those things. Um, so that is St. Paul. Like that is the background that I came from. Um, just to explain more, mostly African American members, um, probably two to 300, uh, while I was going there. Uh, man, it was a family feel. Like I was probably cool with every youth, people older than me and younger. Till this day, I keep in touch with them, and we're still uh, pretty good friends. So it was great community. I mean, every church has fractures, uh, has things that they probably can work on. Um, but this is what was great about it. It really taught us. Like when I was growing up, you know, if you looked at our liturgy. Um, you had a worship leader, you had a person that had to read prayer. I mean, you had to do prayer, read a scripture. Like I was doing those things probably starting at six years old and they would put you down. Um, and the funny thing is, man, as you got older, you kind of understood the church. Like if I say certain things, how to say it, um, and it just taught me to rely on Christ in crazy situations, uh, because you know, you, you be nervous up there when you're doing prayer, you got to grab the mic in front of <laughs> everybody, uh, read the scripture in front of everybody. You better know how to read. Cause if you don't, man, you really, you really in trouble. Uh, and you know, then worship leading, man, when I first began probably was stale, man. I just kind of read through the liturgy and everybody would just tell you good job. Like you just did a good job because you got through it. And some people was just too nervous to do it. Um, so, you know, along with St. Paul, man, it was kind of the flagship church. Um, for the conference, um, as I said before, many of our pastors went on to become bishops, kind of set the tone, uh, definitely gave the probably the most financially to the conference and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, I would have to say if, if it came down to most of the churches, I probably grew up in the privileged church within our conference, um, probably had more resources and everything to offer than most of the other churches. And I know that from just actually pastoring and being sent away, which we'll get to later on. Um, so, you know, kind of had it, <laughs> kind of had it good, but UAME, man, we had UAME conference choir. This is where the young adults from all of the churches to get together and sing, man. Um, and conference was like a big deal. Everybody come with their hats, you know, you, you go to the Sunday service, man. We used to all be in the back chilling. Um, all the conferences there. That's where they were assigned pastors. That's where the bishop, it was a big deal, man. Um, and this is where I grew up, man. But all in all, they love the Lord. They love fellowship. Um, they believed in the spirit moving. Um, and also, man, they did what they could do with the resources they had in order for us to grow up, uh, with, with great, you know, morality. Um, foundationally, we were set as far as the scripture was concerned because that's all they preached. We wasn't reading theological books or anything of that nature, but it was Bible, 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 Bible. Um, so, you know, definitely grateful for that. Um, so how do I fit into this equation just in setting the background? Uh, to you. As I told you, man, the choir was of greatest importance, you know, since I was young, you know, going up. We used to have to do these Easter pieces, 
uh, <laughs> and we had to memorize them. And my mom, you know, if I didn't memorize it, man, I would literally, you know, get beat. Like that was the thing. <laughs> you had to memorize these Easter pieces without the paper. Everybody clap for you. Um, so I'm setting the scene for you because uh, even if I didn't want to be up front, it was a skill that I learned um, because it was just a part of, you know, the culture that I grew up with in the African-American church that I was a part of, that those things were taught to us, um, that you got to be of service in the house of the Lord. You don't be a bench warmer uh, in church. So, you know, in the beginning, man, I was just a regular church goer. <laughs> like, you know, people would say they see something special in me. But to be honest with you, man, I was a little bit to myself, uh, even within the church scene, you know, just came with my mom, enjoyed the rides with my mom and grandmom. And my dad went to a different church and we attended his church, too, which was, which was in the same conference. But he went to a different church and we had friends there, too. And most of the churches really looked the same, man, uh, felt loved, um, really felt good. And, and I would say where things start getting um a little bit geared towards my walk with Christ and the seriousness of it uh, would start uh, when I actually went to college. Now, all throughout high school, you know, I was pretty good in football. Um, you know, I would do the necessary things in order uh, to, to grow in the faith. Uh, I had an understanding of things in the faith because of the church environment. I love the songs and I love to move and clap and things of that nature. Uh, through the teachings of my mom, my grandma, my aunt start discipling me. Um, but I never really accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior uh, until I hit college, like in my dorm room. Um, and I want to start there. So in my dorm room, you know, I, I met Christ, man, 18, 19 years old. Uh, and from there, everything just made sense. Um, everything made sense, right? So there is where I got my like my first taste of doing ministry. Uh, we started a campus ministry called The Gathering there, and I'm not going to dig too much deep into it. But there I learned like multicultural work uh, because Bucknell was predominantly white um, and had different ethnicities besides black. Um, so I had to learn, you know, to kind of go outside of my shell of being in an African-American bubble culturally um, within the church. Uh, and learn that, man, the glory of God is seen through different ethnicities, cultures, and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But when I went back home, man, when I went back home, you know, um, man, I started a group called The Camp at like 19, 19, 20 years old. Um, and this is when I really start flourishing in the gift of really knowing that I'm become, starting to become a pastor. And so after giving, I just want to start in the context was like, if you wanted to become a pastor in the UAME, number one, your calling had to be sure. Uh, number two, you had to know how to preach the gospel. If you could not preach the gospel or you weren't sound uh, in the biblical principles, you, you had to sit down. You wasn't going nowhere. Um, and number three, people just had to see it in your life. Um, and I'm grateful that I had, you know, great mentors, man, my pastor, Pastor Ames. I think the greatest thing he did for me was give me the opportunity um, to kind of grow within teaching the Bible. Um, he gave me the flexibility and kind of the creative, uh, you know, independence uh, to do it in a unique way. Um, so when I started the camp for the young adults, it actually helped me. So here I am, 19, in charge of a group of young adults. I'm studying my word. 
teaching lessons, probably not the best lessons in the world, <laughs> um, forwarding the lessons to, you know, my pastor, uh, just growing there. And at this very moment, man, this is when, uh, you know, the worship leading and everything comes to the forefront in which I grew up in. So imagine this 19 year old man, when I start still singing on the youth choir, um, I would be able to worship lead. I remember the first time that I worship led, man, and worship leading within my context is um, is like guiding the service. Like, you know, you're the one in control of, you know, the environment that's set. Um, if you really not in connection with God, man, you, you, you need to sit down. If you can't, you know, allow yourself to just dwell, um, in his presence and allow his presence to have total creative freedom um, and loving on him so that people can kind of set their mindsets towards God, um, then it's going to be a long service. Like the worship leading position <laughs> in the UAME conference from where I come from is just, it's legitimate. You have to be legit in it because a lot of it rests on you. And, and it's the truth. Uh, but as I was growing in my faith and uh, growing actually and teaching the Bible and developing uh, my voice to actually preach the Bible, it came down to worship leading. Um, and I would be so excited about worship leading, man, because here, man, all this stuff you learn uh, in between like prayer, scripture, um, you could literally preach little three to four minute minute snippets. You had to learn kind of the balance of not being too long, but yet when people go with you, you know, the spirit is moving. Um, and man, it helped me gain so much confidence. And I think by the time, you know, I graduated college, I probably was like 2021, 22. Um, I had to work on myself because in some sense, you know, I'm talking to my grandma, I mean, if I lost a sense of humility, I got to the point where like, I'll, I was so confident and just really into my word and everything, you know, just had a yearning for Jesus that uh, sometime, you know, I'll be like, man, I'm going I'm to lead this thing to the point where, like, I need a preacher to recognize, uh, you know, who I am. And that's wrong, y'all. But I'm being transparent with y'all and I'm being real. Um, and then on some things, you know, if I really respected the person, I wouldn't worship lead as hard uh for respect um but what i learned was my voice in that i learned to validate my gift and my calling um in christ so when i graduated at 22 i still wasn't in the ministry but i was running a ministry called the camp um i was running a ministry to gathering in college uh and when i came home man i just wanted to be sure that that's where god had assigned me to be um and i'll never forget man just reading the end of john uh, I believe it was John, um, and if I'm wrong, I can correct it, but I think it's John, and uh, Jesus going to him, like, if you love me, feed my sheep, and I remember reading that, laying down, and God was, like, talking to me, like, Chris, if you love me, man, feed my sheep, and I'm like, what about this and that, and that scripture, you know, where the disciple came over, um, it's not, and it's, he's talking to Peter, so the disciple came over, and he was worried about the, the disciple, and Jesus was like, don't worry about, you know, who his what his role is or how it's going to end for him like if you love me feed my sheep um and that's what confirmed to me that you know i wanted to be a pastor uh so 
if you want to be a pastor in the UAMA, peep this. This is what you do. You go up during altar call where people are getting saved. <laughs> He'll laugh at this. And uh, as you go to altar call, you go up there and say, hey, man, I'm here for prayer. But I'm also here uh, to tell you, like, God has called me to be a pastor, right? So, you know, people celebrate when it's a man. Oh, man, they 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 go bananas when it's a man. Um because, you know, there there is, you know, man's supposed to lead, right? So within that conference, there is definitely a bent towards, like, male leadership. Uh, when a woman does it, you know, they get a little bit of celebration. But male leadership, you know, gets the whole crowd, you know, ah, you know, so, you know, everybody's excited. Um, but then you have a year, like you have almost like a year uh, to, to kind of prove yourself, to kind of start doing ministries. But I was already done those things. I was actually frustrated because I had to wait a year um, because I was doing so much ministry, man. I was around doing so many things, um, and I was really growing in that. So I had to wait a whole year. I think I was 23, man. And, um, then, I, and then, boom, we have something called a trial sermon. Now, this is... A trial sermon is, <laughs> it's really just a showcase. Like, can you preach or not? Like, it's almost like you put on the spot, um, you sink or swim, you let us know if the, the spirit is moving within you or not. Um, because if you can't preach, it, they actually go in the back. The the stewards and elders of the church go in the back, discuss if you your calling is sure and people can actually fail. So they, <laughs> so you're nervous because, you know, you know, this is a regular service, good music and everything. Uh, you glorify God. But then you also realize that, like, if you're terrible, boy, you, they going to tell you you need work. And that's embarrassing. I don't care who you are. That That's embarrassing. Like, <laughs> it just makes you, it just makes you mad. Um, so I went up there, man first sermon um in front of the church in front of the conference always had great encouragers man and uh god used me i swam i didn't sink so praise god um got approved to become an exhorter so the first step is to become an exhorter within the african-american church that i grew up in um and then from that point on uh you're constantly doing ministry Right. You're doing prayer during the regular service, not just for you Sundays. You're doing scripture or you may be worship leading. Now, this was great for me. And I, and I want to explain this to you. My grandma, who's a reverend, uh, was in charge of assigning people. Well, I always knew um, we used to have 8 a.m. service that somebody was going to call out. But my grandma we used to have to wear black suits, black ties, white shirts. <laughs> so as an exhorter, I didn't I didn't have the credentials to robe up. So my grandma, you know, coming with her during eight o'clock service would be like, oh, be ye ready. She taught me this. Like, if you are ever in a situation where it's any service, number one, um, you have to be ready to do prayer, worship, lead, anything of that nature. I don't care. You know, somebody might not show up. You need to be ready. Number two, you need to have a sermon. You should be able to preach two to three texts um, from memorization, from just knowing, from your relationship with Christ. Um, because if somebody don't show up, you can go in there and you can bring the word so people can be fed. So I knew at 8 a.m. people, some people were just not going to show up. So even if I wasn't on the schedule, 
I would be going up there and doing things when I wasn't supposed to, man. This helped me grow so much. All of this is just cultivating me uh, as an exhorter. Um, and it was it was cool, man. It was such a fun time while also having the creative ability to keep doing the camp. Um, but while doing this work, um, <laughs> what happens is uh, during this particular time, what they really want you to do is go. The UAME conference has a school, um, and you're supposed to attend that school. Now, the hard part about this uh, school um, is that you know the way it's set up. It's usually designed for individuals to go from high school uh, and, and to going to the school and graduating and then going into the ministry. Uh, the fact that I had a college degree. Um, kind of made things difficult in a sense of like, I think the school and everything, the credentials and everything didn't know what to do with me because I had my minor in like Jewish studies. So some of the things they were given to me, I already had had finished. Um, so just knowing this and actually in my heart, you know, talking things through my mom, I was like, mom, I want to allow myself to have the ability um, maybe one day uh, to do, you know, bigger things. So you know, once you graduate from that school, you become an alumni. And what happens is uh, they are the ones who hold the credentials. But sometimes other conferences and stuff don't recognize uh, their school. So, you know, essentially you're just, you know, you're recognized by them, but you don't have many other options. And I didn't want to be caught up in that. You know what I'm saying? It's a great school, great teaching. Um, man, they really hold you up biblically. Um, uh, but they were dealing with accreditation issues at the time. Um, so I went to Liberty University, worked while um, also, you know, just doing the work of the Lord at my church. And, you know, I finished, you know, Liberty University in a year and a half. I took four classes for Christian leadership, uh, working ministry, running a ministry, um, doing the different things, coming home at night, going through classes. Re this is when I got into like, theological books, um, start getting into like different authors, uh, C.S. Lewis, met a little John Piper there. And, um, you're going to laugh. I think I'm, you know, I think I'm going to hit on this, uh, as a part of the series. Uh, that's when I found out I was actually a Calvinist. So, um, so I'm, I'm kind of in there, you know, growing that way, um, dealing with different things that I even, I never dealt with, like, dealing with different theological questions and stuff that never entered my mind. So I'm just soaking it up and growing. Um, and what happens is, right, so, you know, I met this beautiful young lady on the choir named Sante, you know, Boyd, who is now Sante Cooper. Uh, we fall in love. We get married. I'm not going to go into that. But she was great encouragement. Uh, she was there for me when I actually finished my schooling and graduated. Um, and, and then I married her. Uh, and then boom, I'm, I'm married to her. Uh, and then we do seven last words, uh, you know, during Easter and all of that, we talk about the, uh, resurrection of Christ, but you know, the Friday before three days before we do something called seven last words in the UME conference. This is a big deal. Like, again, this is very spiritual, traditional, uh, but also, in some ways, it's a showcase. Like, it is up-and-coming uh, preachers uh, who you got, what you got? You got to preach a saying of Christ, and you literally have, like, five minutes. 
And they was like, you got to preach this sermon. They don't tell you how to preach it. Uh, they don't tell you, you know, they just tell you the verses that you have to preach. You have to study. You have to go up there and, and you got to bring forth the word. Right. So here I am. Uh, I think by this time I might be a local preacher and a local preacher is the next step after exhorter. And that's just, you can do ministry locally. Um, and what that is, like you can start preaching. Um, you still can't do the sacraments or anything of that nature, but you can start learning. Um, and you can actually go to other places and start preaching as long as the pastor gives you permission. So it's a little step up. You feel good about yourself, you know, and I actually had the qualifications to, to probably be more than that. Um, but here I go, man, you at least seven last words. And like I said, I'll just give you the background. You are in front of the bishops of your conference, you know, the first ladies, all the important trustees. You got all of the churches there um, and you got to preach the word. And it, within these three to five minutes, if you terrible, you they ain't going to ask you back up. It's like, <laughs> like, it's just, I know you probably like, man, what is happening? But this is truth right here, man. So, you know, I did well in about three to five minutes. God really used me, man. Um, and uh, I was grateful for that. Uh, and I remember that night, man, you know, I, I got the robe up. You can wear this all black robe. That's it. Nothing fancy. Um, and as I was getting undressed, the bishop came in there and was like, the spirit moved this some of y'all, and I just want y'all to know some of y'all are going to move this year. And I knew it was me. I knew it was me. And it was hard because I was getting used to being a wife, a stepfather, all those particular things. And this was happening right away. Um, so when May came around, um, when May came around, man, uh, basically, I was now 24, a uh, local preacher, and... I moved, got assigned to Baltimore, um, called Jordan Memorial. I'll never forget it, man. Hour and 15 minute ride away from where we live. Um, man, going through tolls, not getting paid. I was considered a QCA, which was a, uh, quarterly, uh, man, a QCA quarterly conference assignee. Yes. Quarterly conference assignee. Uh, and basically, you, you're you kind of like an assistant pastor, man. You're there helping the pastor with his vision. Uh, he And I had a great partner, man. The partner I had, Reverend Mills. Um, I always felt like I was my a Timothy to his Paul. But I remember upon leaving, he said I, I was my own Paul. And that gave me great encouragement, man. And he just also allowed me to preach on Sundays. Uh, he allowed me... Uh, to worship lead, and now in worship lead, and at first we didn't have a music minister, so mind you, I'm singing, I'm singing solos, and I can sing on a choir, but my voice ain't the best, but I had to get out of my shell again, like I'm 24, 25, singing solos, I don't know how about voice, but we having a good time, I think we started out like five, six people, by the time I left, it was like 13, um, now all of this, again, cultivation, uh, you're learning how to be faithful and committed. And it's not about the checks. It's not about the money. It's about your passion and love for ministry uh, and for Jesus, right? So this is my foundation. This is what it is. I mean, I had hard times. Uh, I cried um, some of the long nights, Wednesday Bible study and things of that nature. Um, and then getting back into the house at like 10 at night, 11 at night, if it was traffic, um, it took it took a toll on us, man. And 
Uh, it really took a toll on us financially. Uh, but again, it created a reliance and a dependence on Jesus, a foundation that was sure to know that Christ had our back. This is this is my background. I'm setting the tone for for what I'm what I'm telling you right now. Um, so I'm still going through the ordination steps now. I'm about to become, you know, I become a deacon while I was in Baltimore at Jordan Memorial. Um, and how you become a deacon, they like you, you pass all the qualifications, schooling and everything, but then you have to pass this test, right? So, <laughs> so within this test, you know, we have something called a book of discipline. This speaks of the history, uh, the means of grace. Uh, you have to know, you know, historical facts, the importance of means of grace, you know, sacraments, baptism, all these particular things, uh, marriage, uh, you have to study these things and you got to take like a two page, three page test, right? Everybody takes the same test. Um, you got to have knowledge of it. You got to, you know, write it out, you know, circle, whatever it may be. Um, and it helped with the fact that I probably could preach and that I was doing ministry well in Jordan. Uh, we were getting along well. Um, and then it goes before the committee, um, and the committee, you know, checks out your credentials and everything in that conference or, um, you know, it, they'll come together and they'll say, hey, he's been approved, um, you know, to become a deacon. So I actually got approved to become a deacon in my mom. And, and the big ceremony is like, you know, the bishop comes and prays over you. Uh, and then my grandma, you know, put the sash on me, um, which was big. <laughs> And uh, so now that I'm a deacon, you know, now we do sacraments and stuff like that, but I can't bless the sacraments. We still have to take it to an elder. So now I'm a deacon. I can preach. I can go up there, you know, sit on the pulpit, you know, do different things, man. It, it was pretty cool to kind of go throughout that process and grow. Um, so now that I'm a deacon, man, when I hit 27, mind you, I was in Jordan from 24 to 27, um, May happens, um, and we're just getting to the end, uh, and... And, um, you know, I'm cool at Jordan, you know, just, but I, you know, my pastor was just really preparing me, you know, to, to be able to lead and I, and I'm grateful for that. Um, so, you know, during Sunday conference, Sunday, man, service Sunday is like the big thing, but it's a great service. The spirit is high. You know, everybody's, you know, they have the big conference choir, everybody's singing, everybody worshiping. But here's the crazy thing, right? <laughs> and uh, I love this, but I always wonder why. I felt like they should do this business, like, maybe on the day before or, you know, I don't know. Because you're, you're sitting there worshiping God, but you're also in a weird place because you know you could be moved, number one, to a place that you never expected. Number two, to a place that you might not want to go to. Um, and and number three, man, you know, you may feel like you should have been moved before. Like you felt more qualified than, than others. And that's just real. That's just being human. Um, and if people were honest, they would tell you about this. So after the service is done, the big thing while all the churches is there besides glorifying God is to find out who like their pastor is, who their QCAs are, who their local preachers, evangelists, all those things are gone. Um, so <laughs> here I am, 27th May, young boy, been through a lot though, very experienced, um, grateful for my teachers, grateful for my aunt who was discipling me all them years, my grandmom who just was teaching me great wisdom, um, you know, the pastor that was in my life, um, they call out my name 
and and I love this church, man. I I will I will never talk bad about this church. This church helped me grow up so much. Um, but at this particular time, they go Mount Calvary. They go Chris Cooper, uh, assigned as pastor in Mount Calvary. Now, let me set the scene for you. As I walk up there, one of the ladies, um, and she's not gonna say any days goes. Uh, the, the thing gets silent. Everybody goes, <gasps> like, the air goes out of the church. Um, and one of the people was like, they going to kill him, this young man. Um, so the reputation was this church was hard. Um, you know, they'd have been through some things. Um, they had a separation from some members, things of that nature. Um, so within this, they were very protective of the church. And if they didn't like you as a pastor, you was gone. They just gave you a hard time. That was the reputation. So, <laughs> so when they called me, you know, like I said, the ladies, they're going to kill this man. I mean, one of the retired bishops was mad and he used to be my pastor because he was like, you know, they're going to discourage this young man. Um, but me, yeah, I had all the confidence in the world. I ain't even going to lie to you. I, <laughs> man, I just went to my wife after accepting it. Um, some people were actually crying for me. Um, and from some of the ministers, if I'm going to be totally transparent and honest with you, they came to me like, you know, I I'll pray for you. Um, and, and they basically told me like, I hope you make it. Like, I hope it don't discourage you from pastoring. Like, this is real stuff. Um, but I was confident because I knew two things. Number one, you know, I love the Bible. I, I love the Lord. I had a straight foundation with the Lord. I had a great relationship with him. Um, and number two, uh, I knew my gift was to love people. I love people. Um, so I took the approach like, I'm not going to listen to all of this, but I'm going to go in there and make my own opinions, make my own assumptions, and I'm going to love on these people. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I remember just getting dressed with the ministers after taking off the robes and everything, and they was praying for me, and they was like, hey, you'll be okay. And only one minister really gave me words of encouragement. Um, and I'll never forget that person, man. And they kind of told me like, hey, some people are not as bad as, as people say. Um, so went down there, Mount Calvary, man, maybe the first year, first year and a half, we was just getting to know each other, um, getting to see where we could move and how we could move. I mean, it was hard, you know what I mean? But I loved it. That hardness is what I needed, man. This is where I learned, um, that everything is not like a, a national catastrophe, um, that the gospel is about commitment, faithfulness, and persistence, persistence and perseverance, like, Sometimes we had to deal with different things, you know, where it's going to come from to pay for this, you know, God's got us, things are going to come through, we will see God work in so many different ways. We weren't the most resourced church, but I learned how to use what I had in order for the glory of God to be shown through our actions and love. Ah, man, them elders. There you have it. That was amazing and so helpful. Appreciate Bryce quoting Eugene Peterson, the man, there at the end. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of good things to think about. So definitely follow their advice, that call to action at the end. Go on to Everything Just Changed. Give it a five-star review and subscribe and check out their, their website. And look for more bonus episodes as we come around trying to share what's going on good here. Of course, iHeartPCA is brought to you by White Blackbird Books. Normally we have an ad, but we didn't want to insert it into the midst of their podcast. Go to storied.pub to check out the 
various resources and books that we have there, that they have there. And uh, two new ones just came out since this episode is a bonus. I can talk about them in real time. One of them is Driven by Desire by Thomas Fitzpatrick. It's a great book that talks about how your desires are God-given and they can be redeemed. The other one that is just coming out this week is A Year in the New Testament. It's a verse-by-verse going through the whole New Testament one day at a time. It's written by Dr. Dave Dorst. And the first volume, which is January through June, will be really helpful to everyone. It's uh, You can get all those on Amazon. I think they're going to be really great resources for everyone who listens. Check those out. Of course, give us a review too. Um, help us out by spreading this around, and we will catch you soon. So this is the beginning. This is where I come from, and this is where I'm going to end. When I'm about 30, (laughs) I uh, get this call uh, from my best friend, my best friend, Timothy Johnson. Um, And he calls me, and he's like, hey, bro, I just met with someone, um, a a pastor who is uh, looking you know, for African-American minister, like pastor, um, give me, <laughs> give me a resume. You know, me and him start talking. I said, bro, pastors ain't supposed to have resumes. Like you're not supposed to talk to, you know, you're not supposed to be talking about yourself, bro. That's conceited. It's, you know, you could, you know, things of that nature, man, you need to work on your selfishness. And he was like, boy, stop arguing with me <laughs> and give me a resume. Um, so I literally like, Hey, went on Google with my wife, we looked up resume template for pastor, found the template, you know, just put the information, ministry things, put our picture, and I just sent it to him. My wife did a great job editing it and everything, and it was just weird, like, what? Where did this come from, right? I am at work um, because I also, I had a full-time job while also pastoring because, you know, financially the church couldn't really maintain me, um, you know, as a full-time minister. But in my heart, I always wanted to be a full-time minister. I just felt like I would be so much more effective as a full-time minister. Um, so I'm at work at my desk. I get a call on my cell phone, and I hear this this voice. He's like, hey, man. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? You know, you thinking it's like one of them calls where they're trying to sell you some insurance or something. And this guy goes, uh, hi, my name is uh, Daniel Mason. I'm a pastor at Christ Central Church. Uh, I talked to your friend, Tim, basically, um, and he listened to my podcast. So this pod, where this podcast happened, it just kind of came from, we used to offer up our house and do study with individuals on Friday night. But because, you know, when I started pastoring, I couldn't be there on Friday nights. Um, I started a podcast to even, and all it was is to put lessons and send it out to them so that they could be encouraged for the week. Um, and then I started putting some sermons on there. So it was like, man, we listened to your podcast, um, 
you know, we we think you would be a good fit at our church. <laughs> um, and we would love for you to come to um, North Carolina for a visit. Um, and we would take care of you. Like, we would pay for things. And, you know, I literally, like, can I call you back? I hang out. I like this number. And I call my wife. And I'm like, uh, babe, this person just called me. Told me, you know, he wanted us to visit North Carolina such and such. And I literally Googled the church and, like, the particular presbytery they was in. It was a PCA, Presbyterian Church of America. And they were predominantly white, right? So I was like, hey, <laughs> so white, like, what should I do? And my wife goes, you know, how can it hurt? They, I mean, they paying for everything? I was like, yeah. She was like, well, we going to do them then. Um, so I literally called him back and was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm open to going, and we set the date uh, for me to go down and visit. Mind you, in my heart of hearts, we were very satisfied with where we were. Um, you know, we were like kind of finding our groove, being in Wilmington, Delaware, really, you know, with our family, kind of setting things out. Things were coming into place. Um, but yet, there was still some uneasiness and unhappiness in the sense of, like, we felt like we could do a lot more. Um, just create creatively. It wasn't like me at St. Paul anymore. Um, you know, the conference has a certain way of doing things and how they want things done. Um, and I can say that was a, affecting my growth uh, in a lot of ways. So sometimes I just felt constrained and, and restrained to do things that I that I wanted to do. And I would talk to my mom and my grandmom about it, and they were so encouraging and loving, um, and just really giving me wisdom on what to do and how to do it. Um, and at this particular moment, you know, while dealing with some of those things, this opportunity happens. Um, so we, we get to date um, and we take the drive down to Durham <laughs> and we go to Durham with the, I think we went the first time without the fam, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was just me and Tay. So it was just me and Tay. Um, he showed us the church. We got to meet with the pastors. Um, we got to ride around Durham um, to see what it was like, um, kind of the feel of it, different uh, real estate places. Uh, and then we were <laughs> we went to a dinner, man, the craziest like lunch dinner type thing we went to. It was supposed to meet people, but as we sat down and kind of settled in, it was a full-fledged interview. Like It was deep questions, how my theology was what I felt about the Bible, certain things, how would I react to students, to members. Um, they were asking me, and my wife was just holding my hand, um, very supportive. Um, and then after that, we uh, got in the car. And in the car, man, we really enjoyed ourselves, um, you know, talked about what we liked and disliked. And I remember just going to bed that night and us praying with each other. And we were kind of like, hey, man, that was a great opportunity. We didn't know if we nailed it or not, <laughs> but we kind of took it like with a grain of salt. Like, hey, if it goes somewhere, it does. And if it doesn't, we love where we're at right now. You know, God's in control. Um, and that is, you know, the beginning of the end of me uh, being, you know, a part of the UAME conference. And that is actually the beginning of my journey to becoming um, a part of the PCA. Um, so I finished the ordination process in the UAME, and now that's about to end. 
um, in a sense of like, now I'm about to, you know, be courted by, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the pre a, a Presbyterian church and, and, and someone else, which we'll get into uh, next episode. And it's going to be the beginning of actually diving into a new ordination process, even though I was already ordained. So, hey, you know, just be on the lookout for <laughs> the next episode, um, which will be called Journey, you know, to, you know, PCA ordin ordination part two. Um, it's official, which kind of goes through the courting process. All the way through to when we accept and and actually maybe the first year of coming down here and studying for the ordination for PCA. Um, so hopefully it blessed you. Um, as usual, we just want you to grow in the classroom of grace. And again, man, I just wanted to give you a background of, of what I grew up in, where I came from, um, and how I got to where I was going uh, in our african-american context and space to just man going into the complete opposite which is white culture um a more white <laughs> uh space of doing ministry and everything of that nature um and i pray um that you know just helps you to, to kind of see some of the differences and everything which i'll deep dive into more probably during the next episode so um, I love you, man, and I pray that you can utilize this as a tool for uh, individuals who may be going through the same path as me, um, who may be switching contexts like me, um, or maybe thinking about it or getting opportunities. So, um, and for those um, who just want to listen, I'm, I'm really praying uh, that this gives you great encouragement to see how God moves um, and how he does things, man. So I'm going to end with one of my best friends, man, who passed away who uh, one day I used to drive on places, man, we was in a car, uh, and we used to tour, he used to tour with like Yolanda Adams, there's some video out there on YouTube, look up Thomas Clay, um, amazing with the guitar, really glorifying God, um, with his song Blind Man, because I think it's just a part of the journey that I've been through in this life, man, so um, I pray that that blesses you, the song really speaks to you, I love you, and I'll see you on the next episode, part two, it's official. Uh, I'm going into the white culture, baby. Love y'all. I'm out. I'll close my eyes and I'll listen. Stretch out my hands and I'll feel you.
Cause you carried me